On the Jacob Beer Show today, I am so happy and delighted to be joined by Amy Bean and Sue Bean. Uh, one is the daughter of astronaut Alan Bean, who's the fourth man to walk on the moon and part of Apollo 12. And um, also Alan Bean's former wife, who is who knows a lot from that day about what it was like. How are you doing today, both of you? I'm doing well. Uh, Amy asked me to come over and interview with you, and it's my pleasure. And Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, as you know, Jacob, what is today is November 18th, and uh, tomorrow is actually the 52nd anniversary of Apollo 12's uh, landing on the ocean of storms. So uh, I've been thinking about that all week. So it's, it's very nice to be doing the interview with you today. That's awesome. What an achievement it was for America and for an entire world, quite frankly. Yes, definitely. So the first question that I have is, um, of course, what was it like the week of, or even a month of, as they were getting ready for Apollo 12, what was that like for you guys? And just that experience of your husband and your dad about to go and, and make history? Well, uh, we decided to go to the Cape as a family. It was my son, Clay, and Amy. And Amy was only six years old and Clay was 13. And we rented an apartment. And when we got down there, uh, the day before launch, Alan was pretty free. And he called and he said, hey, come on out to the Cape. They weren't allowed to come in they weren't allowed to see everyone, but he couldn't see the children, but he could see uh, the wives. We were lifted from the medical quarantine as we'd had physicals. So I went out to the Cape that day. I drove out there. And the first thing he did was take me in the uh, simulator, the limb simulator. And I'd never done this before. And we had been at NASA, let's see, since 1964, January, because he just never really had time to take me because he was the training was so much they were you know we were trying to beat the russians to the moon <laughs> so anyway so we went in the limb and he he sat in the commander's seat which would have been pete conrad's and i sat in his seat and he showed me he said now everything you see look out the windows you'll see the same stars we're going to see and then you'll see on the computer in front of us uh the descent as we go down to the lunar surface so uh, he was talking to the Capcom, not the real Capcom that would be on duty the day, the next day, but some one of the engineers that was on the Capcom that after that morning, late morning, and uh, and it was just an incredible experience as I watched as we came down to the ocean of storms, and then when we landed, it said you know touchdown, and uh, then the next thing he did, he said, okay, we're going to go over to the vertical assembly building. And we're gonna go up and look at inside the capsule. And we're gonna- um, And this you know, is the capsule they got to go up on, not like a mock, it was like the real deal, the thing that they were flying, that they went to the moon on. Uh -huh. So we did that. We rode the elevator up and walked across the gang plant and they wouldn't allow, the two gentlemen were there in their white suits and they wouldn't allow us to get in, but they were packing everything. And it was actually, you know, you could. It was all fuel, just about, you know, and you know I could look in and see the three seats of the, the astronauts, and we spent a little time there, and then we went back and said our goodbyes, and you know the last thing he said to me, remember, this was my dream, to go to the moon, because wow. he had been a test pilot. Go ahead, I'll let you answer. Well, 
mother really remembers the most. I was so young. So I don't really remember much the night before, just that there was a lot of people around. Uh, we had a celebration, uh, looking forward to the launch the next day. Our family was there, friends. <laughs> seemed like just about everybody we knew was dad. We had invited to the Cape for the launch because everybody had been supporting our family and dad to get to this place. So it was just, I just remember it was a very exciting time. And, and the, day, the next day, one of the things I asked Alan that day before I went out, it was kind of raining slightly. I said, well, are you sure you're gonna be able to launch? And he said, oh no, don't worry with the helicopter will still be watching the weather. And so the next day, uh, my best friend was Barbara Cernan, who's Jane Cernan's wife. And um, so he, we went out, together to the Cape and he was with me to tell me everything that was going on. <laughs> and, uh, and so when that lightning struck the capsule, I said to him, Gene, is everything okay? And he said, oh yeah, get back in the car. We got to beat the crowd back to the to Cocoa Beach. And he was listening on the earphone as we went back and I was with my family and my parents, my mother and father. And um, and then he didn't tell me till we got back. And then he told me, oh, well, you know, I didn't tell you, but the, got, the, it got hit by, the rocket got hit by lightning and it took out all the electrical, but they're back on now. <laughs> so, wow. And you may want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it was so fast, you know, they, they solved the problem pretty much. Uh, well, of course they didn't have to abort, but they solved it what, within a minute. And then when they got out in space, they, uh, uh, you know, reset their navigation system and, uh, and things, but, but uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really know what had happened, you know, on the ground, but we did see the light. I do remember that we saw the lightning strike uh, on, on the launch pad, the both lightning strikes. Both you know, they, come down on both yeah, they came, kind of followed the contrail down of the rocket. Um, so we did see that, but we didn't know that it had hit the Saturn V, uh, the people on the ground didn't. And because it was very uh, cloudy and rainy, if you've ever seen the video of the launch, uh, the rocket quickly went into the clouds. And uh, not like some launches where it's a clear day or a clear night, uh, they had a very cloudy days. So we didn't see it hit, but we did hear a crack. But then right after we heard the crack, the boom of it probably striking the Saturn V there, it came right down and struck the launch pad. So it was so so instantaneous, you know, we didn't really know what happened. But, uh, you know, we had a lot of faith always, whether it was Apollo or Skylab in NASA and mission control, that whatever happened, uh, that they would be able to solve the problem and keep the crew safe. So I don't, I have to say, I don't remember ever during that time talking about that much um, about the lightning strike. It was almost like, okay, well, that problem solved. Now go on to the next thing. And that's really how it always was. You solve one problem and you know something else is going to come about. So you just move on. You don't dwell on that, that other thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and of course, we talked over the phone how, uh, of course, with Skylab, there was a phone. So every three days you got to talk to your dad. But of course, with um, Apollo, there wasn't one. And of course, you're getting updates from the people in Mission Control and stuff like that. But what was it like when you learned that they got to the moon safely and everything? What was that like for you? I mean, it had to be joyful. It was very joyful. You probably know that NASA provided us with two telephones in our house, one in the, our den and one in the um, bedroom. 
and we could hear a squawk box. Yeah, they were squawk box. And, and uh -huh. there was also a telephone oh, okay. that went straight to the Capcom if, okay. we, if we wanted to call him. But we knew how, you know, how dangerous it was. And so we, we would never have called them unless they called us first on, on, uh, the, on the Apollo 12. But anyway, we could hear all the communication and um, uh, so it was that night, uh, all of our friends were there uh, for the, they didn't land until actually about right before midnight. It was a little after midnight, Houston, after, time, Houston uh -huh, time. Houston uh -huh. time. And so we, you know, were listening all the time as they got nearer. And, um, and then we also knew that when they landed, we were, I, my friends were there. Um, I think my next door neighbor, Clay Fulcher, who was one of the leading engineers. Bill Anders from a Bill Anders and um, Jean was there. Jean, Jean, was Jean there. and Barbara. Uh -huh. And uh, so Jean anyway. Prance. They, no, Jean Prance. Uh, no, Gene Cernan. That he was up the Gene last Prance might have been in mission control. No, Gene Cernan. Jean. Usually you had kind of a, they always have a kind of a, another astronaut that stays with the family. Interesting. Kind of a liaison. And they still have that today. Whether you, whatever you are, you have kind of a astronaut liaison. So if something comes up, you can feel comfortable reaching out to them. You know, somebody that knows you and your Interesting. family. Interesting. So like with the SpaceX mission that's at the space station right now, there's probably somebody that the family could talk to if they wanted. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know they uh, have continued that. And I think they choose somebody that's close to your family. You know, you wouldn't just choose a random person. It's somebody you know well. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we could hear everything. And then, of course, after they landed, we knew they had to get their suits on and, and check each other before they went out on the lunar surface. So we kind of, uh, some people, a lot of people went home and because we were tired. And then I kind of, you know, remember lying down for a little while until they actually got ready. It was probably about four hours. Oh, yeah, about four. It takes about four hours to get your suits on and check everything. Wow. And because you got to remember, they have to... Uh, you know, they then depressurize the limb and everything like that. And so it takes three days to get there. So yeah, yeah. It just takes a long time to get the suits on and it's a little space and everything to do it. So yeah, they didn't really step. Pete, I think, didn't step out. He was, of course, the commander and was went first till about 430 in the morning. So I remember that was one thing I remember is we had people kind of spent the night over and we just had blankets and pillows in our living room. And some people slept on the floor until they went out after the landing. And um so yeah, it was a, it was an exciting time, and we just the whole time when they were up, it seemed like there was always somebody at the house. Wow. Well, yes, and of course we didn't we didn't go outside and talk to the press till they actually came back home. The fam family didn't, uh, but Amy, you know, like they were following the kids to school, and wow. my and my son had a paper route. Uh -huh. <laughs> they were even, you know, following him to the paper route. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted to get family photos and uh -huh. comments and things. So, yeah, it was a very exciting time. I think we felt very proud and um, we just, uh, but, you know, we, we, uh, we knew it was for the country too. I don't think we thought about it as just for our family. We felt like our, we were doing our duty. You know, it was the Cold War and that was important to us too. Absolutely. And uh, after he got back, what was the moment like when he got back from the moon? Or well, not when he got back from the mission, because of course, it takes a few days to get back. What was that like? What was the first thing that he said to you, if you remember? Well, you know, they picked him up from the ship. 
And so he calls me as soon as he could. And of course I was watching it on television also. And uh, he didn't tell me that he'd actually gotten hit by a camera that fell off when he landed and they had to sew up his forehead. But he, he, you know, he just was happy. And he said, uh, gosh, I'm really, you know, he, he never liked the space food that much. He was pretty much of a picky eater. And his favorite food was uh, Italian spaghetti. And he said, uh, take me, be sure you fix me some spaghetti and bring it over to where I'll be. You know, they were in quarantine uh, on the first three. Flights. In the lunar receiving laboratory. Uh -huh. When he got to Houston, and, he wanted uh, mother to make him a homemade dinner of spaghetti. <laughs> so wow. But anyway, uh, and he, you know, he didn't talk too long because the doctors were all there and, and you know, they were having to go through tests, uh, you know, checking their, all their physical capabilities. So anyway, but it was exciting. And then he came back, I guess it was another day, right? It takes about a day, about 36 hours for them to get back to, they just, uh, steam I think they steam into Pearl Harbor and then they had to yeah they had a big they put them on they put the whole trailer on a big I think C-130 and fly it back to Houston because they were under because they, they were still under quarantine like Apollo 11 uh -huh. you know they didn't know if they bring back any germs or anything and they didn't want to infect the earth so yeah they had to they had to do that but the mother hinted I don't know if you know this story when <clears throat> when they splashed down uh a camera came loose, like a, a from that was stowed in the spaceship, and it knocked Dad out momentarily. It came loose, it splashed down, which is a huge impact, and it hit him just right over his forehead and cut him. And they had to sew it up. But he always said, you know, if that camera had come down in the middle of the forehead, it you know could have killed me because wow. it was because the impact of something that big at that big of speed yeah. is not good. No, can you imagine if that had happened and I'd gotten all the way back from the moon? And he said, but I didn't. And he said it was my own fault. I just didn't stow it carefully, you know, you know, strap it in and stow it well. So he was fine. Uh, I don't remember him having a scar after that. No, but I don't think so. But yeah. And we used to go visit him every night when he was in quarantine for two weeks and take homemade, mother would take a homemade dinner over there. And so when he came back, those are your first memories of him when they had come back from the moon was taking food over to him. Well, I never, yeah, I didn't talk to him. I just remember seeing him through the glass. See, because I was little, we were he kind of sitting in an auditorium, and they were inside this, yeah, space. Uh, it's like the trailer, you know. Yeah, it was a trailer. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And um, wow. but they also they flew back into Ellington Air Force Base, and we went out, and that was fun. They were in still in this capsule and that was still in the quarantine trailer and, and the quarantine trailer we could go up and visit with them you know but had a glass and we could talk I, on the phone uh -huh. it's almost like you pick up a phone and they had a phone on the inside of their glass and then we could talk to them sort of like at a prison it is like in a prison <laughs> but they didn't think of it that way but they did have to be careful you know and uh, they had a cook and a famous man that was their cook that was there for many years and uh -huh. uh so it was it was an exciting time, and uh, we were just so as a family we were just so thankful he was back home. And after that, there was a lot of public relations we did. Uh, Alan was from a Fort Worth, Texas, and that was where he grew up. And they had a ticker tape parade, and then we went to the White House and sp and uh, spent the night when President 
uh, Nixon was. Wow. And then later, what was, what was that experience like? Uh, I assume you both of you were there when you guys no, both. Didn't, they didn't have the children go. No, they yeah. just had the, the adults go. So did um, you get to spend the night in the White House? And we just spent the night in the White House. And on what the room were you guys in? If you don't mind uh, me asking, Lincoln room? No, tell them your story about being sick. Yeah, it's, well, this is kind of an interesting story. Well, so. that day, uh, you know, my my parents came to stay with my children. And so I the next day before I had to clean house, buy groceries. <laughs> it was pretty stressful trying to get ready. And we went, we left about noon on a, I think it was on a Saturday, but right before Christmas, around December 13th. And um, and we went in the NASA jet up there, the six of us did. And we each had to, NASA rented a limousine for each of us because that was the customary way to enter the White House. And so we went there and we we, we went down in where President and Mrs. Nixon met us, which was kind of in the basement of the White House. It was a different entrance. And then he was so great and kind to us. You know, he showed us all around the White House. He showed us his office and talked about how happy he was for us to be there. And then about 4.30, um, they showed us up to our rooms, which were on the third floor. The quarters for the president were on the second floor. Second floor. And that was when we were going to meet them about six in the second floor. And it was... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I was so excited. I wasn't feeling, I was just feeling, I hadn't eaten anything, you know. And so anyway, we got, when we went down, we had a, a like a glass of wine or drink or cocktail or something. And, and it was very warm. They had the fireplace going. And so suddenly I sort of got this terrible headache and got sick. And so I didn't know what to do. I went over to Mrs. Nixon and I said, Mrs. Nixon, I'm not feeling well. I think I better go back to my room. And she said, Oh, no, 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 no. You, you can't miss dinner. She said, you just come across the hall with me. I want you to lie down for a little while. And so I went across the hall and she opened this bedroom and it was the Lincoln bedroom where uh, that was a very famous, you know, bedroom. It was where um, Frank, I guess, I was trying to think who all was, many, the Queen Elizabeth had stayed in that bedroom uh -huh. when she visited and uh, it was really very impressive with all the furniture from his realm. And so anyway, I laid down and I couldn't, I didn't get better. They sent the White House doctor up. He gave me a shot. I was sick at my stomach. And I went over to the restroom and, and she just turned, she went with me and turned on the water and I lost everything from the day. And she said, oh, don't worry, honey. My girls always get sick when they're traveling. She was very nice. So wow. finally I went back to my room because I never felt like going and I missed the dinner. But then next, the next day they had a brunch with the cabinet members and I did get to go to that and that was fun. And they all had their families there. And it was, it was a wonderful experience in my lifetime. Wow. That's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I've interviewed uh, a few people who have lived in the White House, Jimmy Carter's uh, grandson who lived there for about a year. And then uh, also uh, Mary Eisenhower, who's Dwight Eisenhower's granddaughter, who got to spend a few weekends there as well. So, but that's probably the most crazy sick story that I've ever heard about somebody in the White House. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was embarrassing, believe me. <laughs> another question, going back to just the uh, moon thing, was what, what what was his what did they tell you guys was his favorite memory about walking on the moon? Was that and did he see any UFOs or anything? Well, he never saw any UFOs, uh, and uh, he uh, didn't expect to. Um, 
it, but as I think as far as his favorite memory is, is he always says that it was just that he went to the moon with two of his best friends. And so he got to share the experience with two other people that, you know, meant so much to him. So that was, I think, the most incredible memory. But he said one of the things he used to think a lot when he, he's, you know, I think over time he was there maybe on, on the moon almost eight hours. They had two EVAs. And um, he said it would just seem amazing that he would be doing work on the moon and he could look up and see the earth and say, gosh, it's hard to believe that everybody I've ever known, everybody I know now, everybody I'll know in the future uh, prob is on that planet. And just the three of us are over here, you know, Conrad, Gordon, and Bean. And he said that that just seemed amazing. Crazy. They were just so, everything was so far away, but he just said it just, you know, as far as uh, UFOs, he said what they used to joke that they should have brought a couple arrowheads and then thrown them down in the, uh, the, the, the dirt and then maybe pointed the camera down in there and maybe fooled mission control. Like, oh my God, did you see that? You know, but they didn't. So he didn't see UFOs, but he does believe, or he did believe that there were other uh, planets with, yeah, with life. He just, you know, with the size of the universe, uh, he just felt that just had to be, you know, but he didn't believe they'd ever visited earth because he believed, dad believed that if they had, they would have um, made their self, they themselves known to us. He says any uh, civilization that could have traveled as far as they would have to travel would have been so much more advanced at us that he thinks that they would have revealed themselves and they probably would have been peaceful. Uh, so he didn't believe there's been any other uh, civilizations that have visited. Right. That was his opinion. Interesting, which his opinion is better than any conspiracy theorist. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I think people want to believe a lot of different things. And of course, we never really know, but you know, it's they would, it's you'd have to be a pretty advanced civilization to get here. Absolutely. And then one other question is that uh, he was a very good artist. Um, I looked at some of his photos online. What was his favorite artwork that he ever did that you know of or that you remember I'm talking about? The favorite, what was his favorite painting? Yes. Well, you know, each painting had a story. And um, so I would have to say that sometimes his favorite story of the painting he liked was the fantasy where it's, uh, I don't know if you, that's one of his more iconic paintings where it shows Conrad and Gordon and being on the lunar surface. He says as an artist, as NASA could only send two people down and then Dick of course had to circle uh, around. Uh, he said, but in my, as an artist, I could take all three of us down together. So he wow. loved that thought. So that was one of his favorite paintings. But I think as time went on and he became a better artist, I think later and later paintings, he liked be just because of, he felt his technique improved. And uh, so I would actually say that maybe just the, one of some of the later paintings that he did uh, before he before he died, he was working on one of the earth, and that was probably just because he was becoming a better artist. And um, so, you know, I think everybody always likes their best work. Wow, usually your latest work. Wow. <laughs> and uh, just because you guys, of course, are part of the space family, and this is my last question. Sure. What are your guys' thoughts on space tourism and space travel? Or what did, what would you say your dad, or what are your guys' thoughts and what was his thoughts? Was he, you know, like, you know, let's go explore more? Or what was, what were your guys' thoughts on that? 
I, I'm, I'm going to let Amy answer that one because I don't know that one. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think I agree with my father on this one. Both of us would say we're supportive of that. We're supportive of continued space exploration, of space travel. Uh, you know, I think he would have said, you know, it's like um, used to be only really wealthy people flew in airplanes or even owned cars or whatever. So that's how it starts out. You know, it becomes it's a very expensive endeavor, not and and then then it becomes more accessible to the common people. As it gets cheaper and more tested, and there's cheaper. more companies. That's right. It might take longer to evolve than a car, just because space travel is not easy, but uh, and and much more dangerous. But but no, I he was supportive. He knew that uh, he always hoped that people would go back to the moon and continue to explore Mars. And um, because that's just what humankind needs. That's the spirit of exploration and we have to move forward. You know, I do remember one of the things he said is, you know, they say we're gonna go back to the moon and then from there we'll go to Mars. He actually never wanted to do that. He was always hoping they'd just go on to Mars. He felt that was the way to go. But, you know, um, he wasn't, he was busy being an artist later in his life and not being an astronaut. So maybe scientists felt, or people who were doing that felt that was really the best way to go. So, but he was supportive, supportive of, uh, of commercial space travel and um, of, you know, these people coming in here and thinking of new ways to do it and cheaper ways to do it and new kinds of propulsion. I mean, that's just, that's how you got to get it done. You can't go with the old technologies. You got to develop new ones. Absolutely. <laughs> And just one last thing I just want to quickly add in is um, what would you say overall was his most memorable moment in all of that he ever did in space? Was it on Skylab, Apollo? What, what would you say it was? Well, I know he always said that Skylab was harder because they had all sorts of experiments and they had a schedule every day and, you know, it took longer. He had to work harder and, uh, and then I, I know he, you know, the moon went pretty fast. That's the two right. times they went out. He used to say but, the moon was like a trip to Paris. It only took 10 days and every day was different. He said that was, I was a rookie and it was fun. He said, but being on a space station, he says that is just much, much harder. Uh, it's, he said, it's almost like he used to say, and this is even Skylab was much bigger than the ISS and in, in, in interior wise. He said, it's almost like being on a coal mine. He said, you, you're, in a, uh, you, you're in this one small area for many, many months, and that's harder to keep your attitude up, harder to keep your motivation up. And he said, so that was harder work. That's why he said, I hand it to the ISS astronauts that stay up there for so long. That's, that's tough, you right. know, and you're away from your family longer. And he said, um, it's a beautiful view. He said, there's no doubt it was a beautiful view. And then the other thing about Skylab that Pete felt uh, is he was the commander of the mission. And uh, so he felt he had gained enough experience and was a seasoned astronaut to be a better leader. Like I said, in Apollo, he was a rookie and Pete Conrad and Dick were the leaders. So uh, he thought of himself, his best astronaut days were on Skylab and he gave his best performance. And wow. so that was important to him as an individual. Wow, that's truly awesome. Um, and then do you have anything you'd like to uh, also say to our guest? Anything you'd like to well, say, Mom? Well, let's talk a little bit about how he felt about a student and, and your 
you know, your future. He always said that find something you love to do and it, and then you will be successful at it. And that was what he, that was more his message. It was more his message to my grandchildren. He would always tell them, and the youngest one now is about 20 and the oldest one's about 34. And he would say, find a, a profession that you love and put your heart in it and you will become successful. It may take a lot of work, but that's very important in life. Yeah, he, he definitely believed that you should uh, dream big and, and, yeah, and follow your passion. And he said, I've always been fortunate. He said, I've had jobs where that I would do for free, but I found a way to have people pay me for them. And, and, uh, and he said, so I've always been extremely happy in my life and my career because of it. So yeah, he just says, you've got to, you know, you've got one short life to live. So, you know, pursue that dream. Don't give up on it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for both of you for coming on today. I truly appreciate it. Sorry about that. Your, my dog was just barking too. So I think they maybe they heard they, your they dog. They heard your, your, your dog. <laughs> they think and they're protective. You know, they're coming over here by me now. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, nice thank to you. meet you.